ridiculous. Welcome, friends, to Perfect Stranger Things, a weekly dance of joy for your eardrums. I'm your host, Anthony. This week, Steve and I relive the Hellfire Club. This is the first episode of season four. So we talk over the introduction to Chrissy, the introduction to Eddie, and the important social and political consequences of Lucas's hair. I was a bit underwhelmed with this first episode, but Steve really talked me into liking it. I think in retrospect, I actually do like this episode. But before that, let's hear from the man with the magic mustache. That's right. It's Mr. Wilford Brimley. You got a story in here. This is the damn story you ever read. Tell you what we're going to do. We're going to sit right here and talk about it. It's the right thing to do. Steve, we're covering the Hellfire Club today, and we should probably mention that we've already covered the first eight minutes pretty thoroughly, I think. Yeah. yeah. Yes, we did. Uh, so if you're if you're missing us talking about that scene with Dr. Brenner at the beginning, we recorded that a few days ago. You can look that up under Perfect Stranger Things first eight minutes. Yeah, so we, we were discussing how, you know, uh, when you're doing a show that w- releases all the episodes, or at least in this case, like half of them at mm-hmm. once, it's hard to do like a weekly mm-hmm. check-in because people have probably already binged it all the way through by the time you even maybe get to our, our episode too. That's right. So what we decided to do was take a different approach um, and just uh, eight minutes at a time. I was going to say we would do the first eight, every week, eight minutes as its week. own podcast and the next seven episodes... As episode two. <laughs> uh, all right. So Hellfire Club and I'm ready. I've got I've got my six sided. I've identified six storylines. So I just have, you know, your a- your average ordinary cube. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Rather than Goucher, Goucher free. This is a Goucher free. That's what that's what our, our audience wants. Goucher free podcast. All right. Here, here we go. I'm, I'm going for it. Okay. And we got ourselves a four, Steve. Yeah, yeah. What does that mean? Uh, you're about to find out. Four is uh, titled "The Hawkins Boys." This is good. I'm glad. I'm glad we're starting with four. This is Mike and Dustin with Lucas on the side. Mike and Dustin are now the least important members of the Hellfire Club. They seem committed to their new D and D group and its countercultural leader Eddie, even to the point of replacing Lucas. With his little sister. What's your class and level? Level one dwarf? (laughs) (laughs) My name is Lady Applejack, and I'm a chaotic, good, half-elf rogue level 14. And I will sneak behind any monster you throw my way and stab them in the back with my poison-soaked kukri. And I'll smile as I watch them die. A slow, agonizing death. So, we gonna do this? Or we gonna keep chit-chatting like this is your mommy's book club? Welcome to Hellfire. Meanwhile, Lucas deals with the dissolution of the old gang, including a breakup with Max. 
But Steve, his kid in play haircut seems to have popularity powers. Yeah. I feel like I, I should maybe clarify here. I say kid and play haircut. Really, we're talking about kid and not play. Yeah, I would say this is maybe even, I mean, yes, it definitely is moving towards kid, but kid was, I always felt that kid might have been a bit of a parody. Um, mm. Whereas this feels uh, Jerry Rice, <laughs> Super Bowl. <laughs> it's somewhere in between kid and play and Jerry Rice. But I really appreciate it, right? Like, because so much is, you know, so much about hairstyles, especially in these uh, Stranger Things with like the '80s and everything, like matter. And it was, it, and so they got to the point where, it, you know, it felt like there was nothing new under the sun. But then it comes Lucas, and you're like, hell yeah! Well, and that it also shows tight. you. I mean, it it's not very subtle, but the subtlety here is that it's pretty clear that Lucas cares about popularity, and it comes out in this episode. Yep. Right, and that hairstyle is very much—it's um, an in thing. It's—it's. It's, you can look at their hair, right? I mean, look, look at Mike and Dustin, mm-hmm. and it's just—it's—it's—it's it's, it's long. It's maybe washed, uh, but Lucas is. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe Lucas not. is all about it. Yeah. Well, and the other thing we've talked a lot in this podcast about the sociology and politics of high school, right. and I think what this does is this signals that the in hairstyle signals to the other kids who are worried about being outcast. It's a little signal that it says, you don't have to worry about me bringing down your social stock. I can be in your crowd and elevate your popularity level. You don't have to worry about like me, like being associated with the nerd crowd. Right. So it's right. it's both a survival technique because you want into the crowd, but it's also sort of a little subtle clue to the popular kids that if they want you, you're not going to embarrass them. Right, and you're ready. You're ready to make those commitments. I think that, and so this is really a great thing that they've done here. Um, you're 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 treading in familiar territory to some degree, right? I mean. Some sort of a shift, some sort of a, a a breaking of the ties of these of this friendship, mm-hmm. and it seems like every season something else is challenging that, right? And it's a, but that's a true thing, right? I mean, like the idea of of uh, maintaining friendships through elementary, through middle school, through high school is uh, it's it's super hard. I mean, it's very it almost doesn't happen. And I would say that the high school threshold is among the most difficult for a friend group to navigate. Like, I had a very close right. friend in eighth grade, and as soon as high school hit, we never saw each other. It was like, that right. friendship was pretty much over. Yeah, and I had um, neighborhood friends that were not my friends necessarily in school, especially in middle school, right? So, like, I had... We, we were friends by proximity, mm-hmm. but then we were... Barely acquaintances by by class structure, <laughs> sure, um, sure. And then high school comes around, and then you have to navigate, right? Mm-hmm. You have to make a decision um, where are you going to land. Mm-hmm. And I remember I made a shift late freshman year into sophomore year that I didn't hang out with any of my middle school friends anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so it was. It's interesting, like, I don't know how much those conversations that were represented in, in between Lucas and, and Dustin and Mike are representative of actual conversations people have, but it certainly is representative of the thought process. 
Like sure. when Lucas is saying, um, we don't have to be nerds anymore, right? Right. Like, like I can, I can do this. Let me, let me infiltrate, and then that will, and that I can protect you. And that's folly, right? I mean, that's a, that's the folly of 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 that middle school to uh, high school transition is the idea that no, we can still make this work, even though we clearly have diverging mm-hmm. interests. Mm-hmm. And and they were like, there's still that. Oh, we could do the cake and eat it too thing, and it's just it's just not going to happen, right? So that that felt pretty authentic. And what I liked is that what they've done is, and I mean, granted, I mean, obviously, we're living in Hawkins where there's monsters all the time. And these people, these kids, you know, give them credit for never really, I mean, only Max needs therapy. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, <laughs> they see a lot of death, like a bunch, and they save the world a bunch. And yet they still, what the Duffer brothers do is they get you right back into the high school politics. Like, well, yeah, of course. I mean, yeah, we, you you may be bonded yeah. by saving the world, but at the end of the day, it'd be nice to be a cool kid. Well, and... Again, and here we here we go. I think what we have here is sort of a, a part two of the Barb and Nance problem of season one, right? Because right, Nancy right. was about to break into the new friend group, the popularity group, the party group, and Barb was like, "You, this is this is a bad idea. You're going to chase popularity. That Steve Harrington's no good for you." And then. Barb's left behind, and we know what happens to Barb, right? That's right. This is what happens if you don't join the cool. You die. <laughs> if you, if you, you die, you die you're inside. You're just not at least. popular enough to live now, right? Yeah, the world doesn't need you. <laughs> well, and the parallel here, we're not we're not really at eleven yet, but she's a total yeah. target for these Southern California Valley girls. Yeah, and I definitely want to put a pin in that because I think mean, there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, there, but, I, but you're right. I mean, yeah, she she was sort of coached initially by you know the going back to the Hawkins boys. Like that's what that was her only relevance to. Like they were the coolest kids she's ever seen mm-hmm. because they all had hair mm-hmm. and yeah, right. uh, they didn't they didn't destroy <laughs> things with their mind. So they were automatically the best. And so, so their culture was, you know, that was attractive. And then Max came in, kind of upset the apple cart. But again, it felt a little bit like rebellion toward, she was upset. So who knows what she, like, she may still be gravitating towards their, their style and culture because that's what she was introduced with and she's elevated it, right? And so now she doesn't have anybody. She's got really no, I mean, uh, Joyce is not the going to help a whole lot she's she's just trying to keep it together (laughs) and uh, joyce is always just barely on that cliff between like my life is about to completely fall apart and i I can hold together one more day if i can just sell encyclopedia b she is the paint can hanging from a piece of rope (laughs) perpetually um it is it is fascinating. So but so going back to yeah, so the Hawkins boys, I think that is really something because I think, and it does make sense. Like I because Lucas they they sort of set the ground rules. It seems like like Lucas has always been a little bit more of the one that that seems the most likely to break away, and I think it plays out really well. And and they really do a good job of making you care. And at this point, if, if memory serves, I know I just watched it, but like these guys aren't really dealing with a whole lot of danger. Yeah, right. Like they don't. No, they they sort of like have reverted back to trying to be kids again. Yeah, their life is is high school. Like that's which is kind of what you do. Even you know, if you if you ever have had a major event in your childhood, the goal is to try to be normal again at some point. 
Um, these right. kids are trying to be normal again as much as they can be in high school. You know, they, they're doing it by trying to be part of some kind of group. And it, the Hellfire Club is that group. Uh, and I think that, of course, for someone like Lucas, he has the choice. These other guys don't have a choice, but he, Lucas has a choice. Do I want to be associated with this basketball team? Or do I want to be associated with the Hellfire Club? Because one of these looks significantly better to me. Right. And on top of that, if he's going to be a part of the Hell- Hellfire Club, he's 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 nobody. He's kind of a rookie. How much cafeteria experience did you have in school? I probably went in the high school cafeteria five times in my entire high school career. <laughs> right. I did yeah. not go in the cafeteria. Were you one of the cafeteria guys? Because I, I don't think... No. I, I think you were a quad guy. Quad guy, dude. Yeah. Quad guy all the way. And it always surprised me when I would go into the cafeteria because I'm like, I'm like, who are these kids? <laughs> um, exactly. Like, why are they here? Do they, do they, <laughs> why are they in they here? go to this school? Right. I'm like, I guess... I, I assume they didn't have speaking roles. And, and it was... Yeah, it was always crazy to me. And so, like, it's interesting. So, when, so that that's... I'm always fascinated by cafeteria scenes in, like, high school movies. Um, and, and TV shows mm-hmm. because because I, I get them conceptually, but what? <laughs> well, in addition to that, you know, growing up in Northern California, the weather was usually okay enough to be outside. That's a good point. That's a really good. Whereas point. you know, you growing up in Central Indiana, you probably spend most lunches in the cafeteria. That's a really yeah, that's a really astute point. Yeah, but it, but it does. It's the same difference, right? I mean, like the quad in the front of our school, like you knew who was who by where they were, yeah. and and that's clearly the case. I think in I think that resonates through people's high school and middle school experiences that the table, you know, which mm-hmm. tables are seating which people, and it does really break down like to way it feels like you're watching a prisoner. A, now a prisoner I was cafeteria. a quad guy, but every now and again I would venture out to the front of the school, Steve. And every now and again, you you could get into a hack circle out there. The the my friends that I had in art right. class, and uh, you know you you would, you might have to hack with guys who are also shooting chew saliva, right? Right where the the hacky sack might land. But th- that's about yeah. as much danger as I ever experienced. And I remember like being ostracized. Like, why are you out here? Mm-hmm. This is, you're supposed to be. In the middle, right? You're supposed to be near the student mm-hmm. store. Or yeah, whatever, stay you know on I mean? your side of the railroad tracks. I had I had a bad experience with art class. I remember freshman year, I was in art, and I was at a table with, you know, most of them were upperclassmen, but there was one other freshman, but he was a he was a jock, mm. and he was clearly in a position. He didn't really know me, but he was in a position where like he would ridicule me and make fun of me uh, to get the whole table against me because it was definitely one of those. I'm a freshman, but I need to separate myself from somebody. Oh yeah, you were you were the the lowest rung on his ladder. If he can right. step so, on you, maybe he yeah. can get a little bit higher. I actually transferred out of art because I just didn't want to deal with it anymore. Right. Now, fast forward sophomore year, uh, when my uh, status had changed, I made a very concerted effort to do the same thing to him in his own group. Jeez. And I remember getting the entire group to every time that he would come by, they would insult him in the insult that I had created for him. And oh, uh, gosh, this is a, this is a full on Game of Thrones episode here. Yeah, no, this is you pulled a little I'm, finger. I'm I'm worse than I give myself credit for. 
You're about you're about exactly what I give you credit for. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so, all right, Lucas decides he's going to skip D&D. He's going to be part of this game, which, I mean, come on. You can't fault him. That, that's the decision to make if you're Lucas, right? Yeah. Like, it's not like you can fault him for missing one campaign in D&D. This school has not been to the championship in 10 years. Right. And also, he's a freshman on varsity. Is that what I'm understanding? That's what I'm getting. Yeah. He's he's a bench warmer, but he's on varsity. It's not something that I'm... Yeah, I mean, that, that was maybe the one part that I think Heather and I were kind of looking at each other a little bit like, well, okay, but we've never seen him play basketball ever. Yeah, but he his haircut gives him at least four inches. Ah, uh, yeah. So he does... He, he fooled the coach. The height yeah, yeah. He, like, he's pretty tall. This kid's tall. <laughs> yeah. You know who else is tall? Mike. <laughs> Mike. Mike's pretty tall. All right. I, st- I say uh, we roll this. Unless you got more on the Dustin. I, you know what? Well, no. I, I mean, yeah, Dustin's sort of getting short shrift here. But, like, so he's still got his relationship. Uh, he's bad at in Latin. That was very uh, changing the grade on the computer. That was a little, little Ferris Bueller. Yeah, that was Ferris Bueller. I think that the basketball plot had t- some Team Wolf vibes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we got some fast times over in SoCal, right? Sure, for sure, yeah. I kind of felt like this first, and maybe that's why this first episode felt a little bit underwhelming to me, was because I feel like these boys are just a part of a much larger ensemble cast. But it's been doing that, I think, because I, I did a, a more recent rewatch of Season two and three, and three definitely splits it up, right? I mean, mm-hmm. three, Dustin is not with the boys like up until the end. Yeah. And I think in general, people think of season three as sort of the low point. Yeah, I I, I like it. Sure. Yeah. Okay. I'm rolling it. Yep. We got a number one. Oh, another question for you, though. I think this is good. So you, you were a little underwhelmed, and I, I, I think I might have been, I was whelmed. I don't know that I was under. Uh, but I was I was I was properly whelmed, and um, but I wonder how much of it is because we saw that eight minutes, uh, like a couple of days before. Sure. Yeah, like if we had watched that in its entirety, like what would that have done, right? Like would we have been like kind of on the edge of our seat, and the credits are coming, and then also we just get jolted back into this universe, and we're sort of like, what's going on? You know what I mean? I, I wonder if that if that changes our experience. I don't know that prologue. It's a little bit like the. That first scene of the first episode of Game of Thrones, it's like, oh, yeah, there's monsters here. And then by the end of the episode, you almost completely forget about the monsters because you're totally in the school politics. Yeah, that's true. I mean, maybe. But I just – but I didn't have that – like, I didn't get to jump into that with, with the right. shock and awe. We got to kind of analyze that and then spend a couple of days analyzing yeah. it. And now it's like, all right, let's see if we're going to get any any clues Well, I was certainly taken out of in. it because of the trigger warning up front. Did you get that? Yeah, yeah, that for sure, right? Because then it's they, – I mean, I appreciate what it uh, purpose served, but at the same time, it does sort of like – Oh, yeah. Now I feel bad. Well, and then I was kind of going meta. I was almost thinking, like, is that why they put out the first eight minutes? To kind of soften the blow? Oh, interesting. You know, maybe maybe they thought, this is a big problem. And the, the entire culture is talking about kids dying horrifically. Maybe we need to sort of leak this. 
soften the blow so then when episode one comes out it's not what everyone's talking about yeah i don't know um but it did it did yeah i don't know either but i'm saying that's what i was thinking when i should have been sort of engrossed in the show right all right this is the meet eddie meet chrissy plot eddie is introduced as a charismatic dungeon master guitar player and sometimes drug dealer Eddie refuses to postpone his campaign for Lucas and reluctantly accepts Erica, a.k.a. Applejack, into the Hellfire Club. Lady Applejack. Sorry. (laughs) Put some respect on her name. My apologies. My apologies to Lady Applejack. (laughs) Very patriotic, Erica, by the way. Yeah. Um, Or disrespectful. I don't know. It's hard to say. (laughs) That's true. Meanwhile, Chrissy is introduced as a cheerleader slash popular girl, but she's throwing up in the girl's bathroom and hallucinating. Seemingly, she is traumatized about her mother and father, a clock, and CGI spiders. Yeah. In an attempt to self-medicate, she attempts to buy some ketamine from Eddie... Instead, she levitates and sees a vision of a Freddy-styled Lovecraft monster. Which I guess eventually we name this guy Vecna. Um, yeah. But so far, no name. So, introduction to Eddie. Steve, what do you think about Eddie? I think I'm a fan. Really? I was not a fan of Eddie. Interesting. Yeah, I was curious to see how you would you would take Eddie. I I was willing. I didn't know if I wanted to like Eddie, but he grew on me. Oh! I wouldn't remember me either, Chrissy. Honestly, um, I've stuffed my hair. <laughs> you don't remember me? I'm sorry. Middle school talent show. You're doing this cheer thing. You know the, the thing you do. It's <laughs> pretty cool actually. And I. I was with my dad. Corroded coffin. Corroded. Oh my god! Yes, you do no, remember, of course, right? With a name like that, how could I forget? I don't know. You're a freak. It's a little over the top, maybe. Totally um, over the top. I was thinking, if I was in high school, do I gravitate toward a guy who treats a lunch table like a stage, or someone who's cool enough to know not to do that? <laughs> well, who's his? <laughs> what's his demographic, bro? <laughs> You know, I mean, well, sure, he's supposed to be king of the nerds or whatever. He's king of the nerds, and especially we're looking at him through the lens of most of the people that are in the Hellfire Club that we have the most relationship with is Mike and Dustin. And the question is, do do I believe that they would look to him as a leader? And one, they probably went into this thing going, what are we doing? We're not ready for this. We've also we we've grown up a lot, but we're still you know we 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 want to we, we're nerds. We want to be accepted, right? And so here's this charismatic, clearly because he's been held back, right? Like that's what we understand. Um, well, he's he's charismatic enough for others in the town to think he's a cult leader, right? So so he's believing his own press, right? I mean, he's not living his best life outside of high school <laughs> but i would but, say or in high school sure but if you're in a position where you're like look i don't know if i have any purpose any self-worth but i have a lot of people that that uh i have some kids that revere me who cares what age they are um and i have uh, adults who fear me um they lean into it you know and I, I mean i don't know that i've ever seen anybody quite like that in my life but i but that notion 
for sure. I've seen some guys that really uh, – I knew a guy, long hair, jean jacket. I don't think he was in like D&D or anything, but he was definitely known for his – he was like the rocker. Like he's from a different school. He showed up, and he just had this aura about him. Mm. And you could tell later that wherever he was coming from, he did not have that aura. But this was a manufactured – or right. he could that, he could sort of invent a new personality for himself. Nobody looked like him at school. Nobody. So yeah. immediately the girls were interested, even though he was homely. Uh, the guys were sort of on edge because they didn't know. And I remember a bunch of people, not like especially people that didn't have like um, maybe a group to call their own, wearing jean jackets, started putting heavy metal patches on them, started. Growing their feathered hair out a little bit more. And later it was exposed that the dude was a complete wuss puss. And, uh, and he didn't have the edge that he portrayed. But like he had a weird home life. And I got to know him a little bit. It was kind of like a sad story. Um, so there's something about that. Maybe that's why this character resonated with me a little more. Because mm. I knew this guy. And so I feel like now this walking on the table and all that stuff rang hollow but there was something there was something about that character that seemed pretty authentic to me that i and so i i was very curious to see this person as sort of a central figure at least mm-hmm. early on yeah this is exactly the kind of guy i would have been friends with in high school and i but i don't i never met someone with that kind of personality over the top i maybe i just don't feel like he's a great actor maybe that's part of it but here's the thing that most He's got Game of Thrones DNA, man. That's yeah. So here's the thing that most took me out. Dustin's super smart. Dustin's fearless. In fact, Dustin will often order Steve Harrington around, who's older, more popular, and now out of high school. In fact, I would say that Dustin's probably the more dominant personality in that relationship. I think that I would almost say that Steve Harrington looks up to Dustin. Mm-hmm. So I don't buy that this Eddie character is going to intimidate Dustin at mm. all. That's my case. Yeah, I, I don't. I disagree. Just because Harrington is a, such a different dynamic. Harrington is is such a more beta alpha. <laughs> That we find out, right? I mean, well, he becomes that way for sure. But but so so Dustin elevates when, and that's the irony, right? Like Dustin elevates when he's with Harrington, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that that Dustin is now alpha everywhere he goes. In fact, navigating high school requires a certain amount of look. How am I going to like going back to the high school? Where do I fit in? What's the pecking order? He's not going to go and tell this guy and risk getting not in the Hellfire Club, not. Um, having a campaign basically saying okay well i guess i'll just eat lunch by myself yeah forget that noise you know he's not gonna usurp this this guy that's been running this hellfire club forever it's a different animal when you're when you when you're on the inside as they say mm-hmm. uh in, in prison um you know you either you either make someone your bitch or you are a bitch and high school's a lot like that in fact this almost brought a couple more teen wolf vibes for me because there is that one character in Teen Wolf who stayed back a year mm. because he went to prison. Right, right. Uh, Eddie didn't seemingly hasn't gone to prison, but he did stay back one year, two years. I think it's two years. Well, and I think Ed, and I think Eddie's so important too because really this season is looking to lean into the um, 
the cultural uh, condemnation of Dungeons and Dragons culture, right? Oh like, yeah, we got the whole satanic ritual conspiracy theory, right? We talked about this in, in uh, the first season rewatch, and I don't know that the, they really talked about it a whole bunch. It was just sort of like Dungeons and Dragons was happening, but this is around the time when Dungeons and Dragons, because, like it was on the news, yeah. and it was like, don't you dare! Yeah, there's ritual sacrifices happening in your small town, and Dungeons right, and Dragons right. are to be blamed. Yeah, and so so he, you know, so him sort of leaning into it and being this over the top character, I think, kind of works in some ways because it's like, um, it's just because he, he's really not what he's not that guy, but he he portrays to be that guy, right? Mm-hmm. So much like anything else in high school, right? Like you're you're sort of like, what do I? Who am I? At least who am I perceived to be? That's who I am. At least you know when I'm here. Um, so I think that, and, and then, so then the juxtaposition of him and Chrissy and having some, you know, like, I love the idea, right? Like, because it's real easy in high school when the, when the, everyone separates in their cliques to forget that there's, there was overlap at one point and there was probably friendships and, and, uh, you know, who knows what, what the, what would have been had other things broke their way or, you know, you had been invited to a different table freshman year, right? Um, well, and I think. My take on the Hellfire Club is this is a group that has leaned into the bad press. Sure, Hellfire Club. Yeah, they, they're saying, they're "Oh, you think responsing. Yeah, you think that we're we're worshiping the devil? Let's make let's make T-shirts just to stoke your fears. That, that's the kind right, of thing. You get the whole the, the whole Hellfire and Brimstone. That's what's going to happen if you follow the the satanic path. And so they're like, "Yeah, well, that's us. That's our club." It is a big middle finger, right? And to some degree, I don't know that... I'm curious, do Mike and Dustin realize that? Or is it like they're just still into Dungeons & Dragons? They want to fit in? Because it does seem a little... Like, they seem still a little precious at times. Mm -hmm. Like, maybe not fully realized. Like, at the end of it, they're like, look, we are just doing campaigns. It's not what you think it is. Um, But are they willing to go that next level? And and are they willing to be the... Lean into it and, uh, you know, almost... You know, like they try to say that it's not like that, but that's not what I think the the club wants. I think that the biggest thing with D&D is to convince your parents that it's not dangerous. Once you've convinced your parents that it's not dangerous, and these guys have been playing D&D probably for three or four years, then it doesn't really matter, you know, what the local pastor says or anything like that. Right. So, so these guys. My my take in it is, it's not like her, their parents are thrilled about D and D, but they know it's not dangerous. Right. And so, who cares what was written in Newsweek? You know. Right. They could be suspicious about who they're hanging out with, but they don't. But yeah, like they're like, we know it's just that. So they're those advocates that would. Because I remember running when I, I talked about my experience at Dungeons and Dragons, and it's like. I was always like, do you like do your parents know? And they're like, yeah, they know. They, they bought it for me. I'm like, oh my gosh, they're in on this whole thing. How deep does this <laughs> How go? Deep does it, all the way to the top. That's <laughs> right. Uh, all the way to Mr. and Mrs. Jordan. How do you feel about Corroded Coffin as a band name? At first I thought it was Corona Coffin, and I'm like, huh. Like is like was that a nod to to COVID? You know? You got the you got the Corona cough. But no, then I realized a corroded coffin. I'm like, oh, okay. It's that's interesting. Like, so it sounds like a high man, school band. It it doesn't have. Yeah. It sounds like it sounds like someone's first band. Right. Like, well, this would be edgy, right? And, the, and okay, 
A lot of uh, movie movie homages and movie overt mentions. I think we've had this conversation before, and I think your answer was that you never saw it. But I'll ask again. Did you ever see Eddie and the Cruisers? No. All right. So Eddie and the Cruisers was a big deal in my family because my older sisters loved this movie. Hmm. And the premise of the movie is that you've got this sort of charismatic band frontman named Eddie. And it's sort of a it's a little bit of a Bruce Springsteen sort of styled band. And what ends up happening is at one point Eddie goes away, but there's some some question about whether or not Eddie's really dead or not. Anyway, so I thought when I first heard this guy's name and the fact that he he actually has a band and I was wondering like this guy's going to die, right? Eddie's, Eddie's got to die at some point. Yeah, he does have a... Feels like he's got a shelf life, right? So as soon as I thought, oh, Eddie, Eddie and the Cruisers, this guy mysteriously goes away. I, th- I think Eddie's going to die. I, I don't know. I haven't watched ahead. I'm just suspicious about, about Eddie. Yeah, I didn't know what his trajectory is going to be, right? Like, is he is he going going to go the Billy route? Is he going to, like... You know, somebody has, it feels like there always has to be somebody on the inside. Mm. But I don't know. I mean, it looks like we're seeing the 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 upside down having a whole lot more psychic impact than they've had in the past. Maybe we should talk about that a little bit. So I didn't get a whole lot of upside down in this episode. You don't think this is from the upside down? I, I'm sure it has it? to be connected in some way to the upside down. But this first episode... Aside from a couple camera shots, I don't feel like I'm watching a, an upside down big baddie. It does feel like we have a new a new villain, a new scenario. Hawkins is just screwed. Yeah, I just it doesn't feel like an upside down vibe, and I'm sure that they're going to connect it. Well, it just didn't feel that way. Yeah, no, I agree because I was because I did it. It was a little jarring. I'm like nobody in the upside down talks, do they? Well, and that's and yeah. that's a little Eddie. I mean, and that's a little bit of Freddie, right? Right, right. Because it did have that. Right, definitely had that Nightmare on Elm Street vibes. Because yeah, because everything, every experience she had was what you would have experienced in like the dream state in Nightmare on Elm Street. The difference being that she was awake. Right. So that's uh, right. So Chrissy is sort of having a waking dream, but it's a very you know the long the long knife fingers and all of that. The the, the fact that the the monsters humanoid form, the monsters talking. That's all Freddy. Freddy vibes for sure. The being in the house, like their own house, like as uh, it turns into like a haunted house. And that's kind of what I think the Nightmare on Elm Streets did really well when they were, especially early on, was, you know, you were in danger in your bed. You were in danger at home. You were in danger in the place where you're supposed to be safe. Mm-hmm. I'm rolling it. We have ourselves a three. Do we know why she was throwing up? Do we assume that she was haunted? I initially, when I saw her throwing up, because I know that she's dating that guy Jason, who's a basketball player. Pregnancy. I thought it was a sort of a morning sickness thing. That's what I thought too. Um, but other than that, and didn't Max see her take off like crying at one point? Right. So we we get an early glimpse of her being upset about something. So that's what it seemed like. To me. Well, I just rolled a three, and so yeah. we're going to talk about Max right now. Max is dealing with PTSD. 
She's navigating a world of basketball games, grades, and D&D campaigns that don't seem to matter. Her stepfather is gone, which is an improvement, but her mother is passed out drunk, her dog is being neglected, and she continues to be traumatized by the grisly death of her brother. Worse, she seems to be on a collision course with Chrissy. So, yeah, it seems like first episode seems like Max doesn't really have a relationship with Chrissy at all, but she kind of randomly encounters Chrissy twice. And so for me, the way, you know, the way that stories work, it seems like Max is going to have some kind of collision course here. It makes me wonder if Chrissy's going to have some sort of trauma. Let's talk about the way Chrissy dies. Right. Okay, so she dies because she's having visions. I'm assuming that her parents, she feels responsible for her parents' death. Although I, the story has not told me that in any way. My guess is that her parents died season three and said, like they were sort of, they became the 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 Walking Dead or the the invasion of the Body Snatchers. People. Right, because there was a lot of. We don't know how Chrissy's parents died, but these visions have something to do with her parents. I have no idea what the clock represents or the spiders, but right. but it seemingly. She's traumatized by something, and that her trauma is some some kind of entry point for this. Because he said, because this this creature basically would say, like like some degree, like like he's gonna set her free, or or uh, like basically makes it makes it stop, makes it, makes the pain stop, kind of. I forget exactly what he said, but yeah, I I just as he reaches his hand out, he gives her like. There's got to be some connection between the relationship with her parents. And sort of this open door where this demon figure can come in. And so I think it's pro I think that we're gonna be playing with trauma in this season. Mm-hmm. I think it's gonna be like these kids who are traumatized by the crap that has happened in Hawkins are going to open an emotional door that allows some kind of upside down creature in. Yeah, and I and I think that's really interesting too. And I think going back to like sort of your your feeling like maybe the Hawkins boys are more of an ensemble. Is that where's their trauma, right? I mean, like they're right back in the high school, um, but maybe just maybe just by virtue of repetition, they're just used to it. Whereas Max's trauma is really right on the nose, and, and Ma- yes. Max's trauma becomes front and center, and it does make sense. Like she did lose her brother. Yeah, that's why I'm saying that those fine. two are on a collision course. I feel like for some reason Max can't get her brother's horrible murder out of her head. And because Max has these two chance encounters with Chrissy, it makes me wonder, like, are they, are they going to be messing around with sort of childhood trauma? And Oh, and also the, the, the L, the L uh, prologue. Right. Right? So she's she's got childhood trauma that she's dealing with. Right. Yeah. And so Max being, you know, it, it also it seems somewhat foreboding, too, is like, because Max is, you know, she's got headaches, she's having these nightmares. To our knowledge, she's not having visions, and she's not mm. being brought into this mm-hmm. other world. Mm-hmm. But we don't know how we don't know how Chrissy's interaction with whether it's the Upside Down or some other sort of psychic realm, how that comes about. So is yeah. Max is Max is Max vulnerable because she's in that 
position, right? Because she has something unresolved. Yeah. Is she feeling any, does she feel guilt? And is that something that, you know? The other thing that just occurred to me is maybe they're playing with child abuse. Because Elle is clearly mm. a victim of child abuse. You could say that Billy was, you know, sort of traumatizing his younger sister. We don't know well, Chrissy's backstory. Well, the stepfather was abusive too. That's right. Billy. So if nothing else, she had to witness that. And if we find out that um, Chrissy was pregnant. Right. And maybe it's not Jason's, you know, it could be that they're playing with not just childhood trauma, but child abuse. And that would actually tie into the ritual satanic abuse scandal, right? Right. Well, that's what's interesting, too, is that it feels like there's such a spotlight, at least early on, about the, the Dungeons and Dragons thing that, like, it almost, I mean, I wonder, like, are the Duffer brothers, like, trying to, did they have some axes to grind? Because <laughs> they were D&D, D&D you know? <laughs> well, here's the thing about this. I do feel like it's hard to, it's hard to game out a story four seasons ahead. And so I think that the best shows create create a world in the first season, and then what you do is you exploit. You start to like, like what were some themes in season one that we could return to that weren't totally mined? And I think because they didn't completely play out the the satanic panic stuff, that was sort of ripe ripe for yeah. for sort of exploiting a little bit more have a six Joyce and Murray <laughs> Joyce is working as an encyclopedia salesperson she receives a package from a Ru- from Russia containing a porcelain doll after a conversation with Murray she busts open the doll thinking that it might have a microphone inside instead she finds a ransom style note telling her that Hopper is alive uh how? What are your feelings about Murray? I like him. You like Murray? I see. I, I was wondering about this. My son. I was watching with this with my son. My son just thinks Murray's hilarious. And Heather loves Murray. This is part of my problem here. I feel like he's an he's sort of an over the top character in the same way that Eddie is, but for yeah. some reason I really like Murray, and I really don't like Eddie. Interesting. So I think it's just maybe it's just a me thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, because Murray, uh, Murray's clear comic relief in many ways. Murray's like grown up Dustin, right? That we were getting. <laughs> well, like. he's comic belief, relief, but he also serves. He's also the tech guy. He's also the guy who's sort of like devoted his life to understanding how governments work. Right. Here's a guy that speaks Russian. I mean, this guy allows these small town Indiana folk to have access to the kinds of stuff that, you know, some sort of anti-government guy will have. Yeah, and he's um, you know, he's kind of like a, a wacky cheat code. <laughs> he's a, yeah, like he can that's move right. you can move the plot along that's in a way right. if he's like, well, we'll just Murray will probably Yeah, know. sure, he's a wacky that's exactly who he is. He's a wacky cheat code. And I am all in for it. I I really like Murray. I feel like if you're going to play with the Cold War plot, you need someone like Murray because you know, you want someone like that. Joyce has to have access to someone like that if she's going to stand a chance against Mother Russia, you know? Right, right, for sure. So I, I'm I'm a big fan. I'm a big Murray fan. I don't have much more on the Hopper stuff. Do, do you have any 
it feels like that's yeah we're this one we're just sort of setting up like it's it gives a little bit of background to once again it's like joyce is living a frenetic life mm-hmm. um reminds us that murray is going to play a key role and it and at least in it and it i think it it's probably the least best least kept secret if it was even intended to be a secret that hopper is alive um so I think it gets it dispatches with that part early, so that people could be like, "Well, what about Hop?" You know, so that's there, right? So mm-hmm. it's like it's it feels like this is you know, this this is a bigger story to come, but more of a placeholder. Well, and uh, the other thing that one. it does is it distracts Joyce, right? So Joyce is not going to be able to sort of have both eyes on L and the yeah, stuff that's going again, on with L. <laughs> once again, Joyce <laughs> is preoccupied with anything. <laughs> and everything. <laughs> okay, I want to roll this. Uh, we did a four already. Six already. Did we do three? Yes. This is this is fa- fantastic podcasting content. Yeah, here. exactly. Do not edit any of this out. <laughs> Eleven, aka Jane and Will. Eleven is being bullied by Valley Girls, the Valley Girls of Lenora High. She makes the egregious mistake of choosing Hopper as her historical hero. Will tries to console her to no avail. Finally, she is fed up and tries to use her Dark Phoenix powers, but nothing happens. I thought it was interesting that she's chosen the name Jane. Right. And, you know, Jane is, of course, her birth name, but all of her friends know her by L and this is to me sort of the classic, like I feel like a freak. I'm going to try to fit in. Let me use this other name. You know, let me use There's almost sort of a, um, an X-Men theme here. Are you going to be Jean Grey? Are you going to be the Phoenix? Cause clearly you're choosing Jean Grey here. Definitely has, has that going on. Is Will. Okay. Here's how I'm reading Will. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. My sense is that Will is in the closet. Yeah, that's my sense too. And he's got a crush on a boy. And so he's leading this other life. And clearly his mom is not paying attention to him. Eleven is totally preoccupied elsewhere. And that to me explains why he's not stepping in to help Elle when she's bullied. Mm. Because he's dealing with his own insecurity i think he's dealing with his own insecurity to it to it to such an extent that he doesn't know how to help or how to and he might not even care he, like i said like that's the the detachment part of it right where he's just like i got so much going on i'm in a new town my mom is once again preoccupied um i've i've had monsters in me like a bunch it got uh uh my my older brother's a stoner and he's like 38 and still in high school and now i gotta deal with this you know psychic you know weapon not really my sister Mm -hmm. and i'm digging on a boy yeah i'm out yeah not even not even gonna i'm not even gonna help her we're in the same exact class and i could have said hey it's supposed to be a historical figure by the way can i maybe throw her a bone bro can i say something about this teacher So you've got this girl in your classroom who's got social issues and clearly her diorama tells the story of her being locked up in a cabin in the woods in rural Indiana with a fence line to keep her from escaping. 
<laughs> um, <laughs> this is is this not a cry for help? I right. like where <laughs> this teacher is horrible. Maybe, maybe there's a maybe there's another classroom that would be better for you. This, is this teacher not seeing any odd signs about this? <laughs> I mean, clearly Eleven needs, she needs more help than she's getting, for sure. Will is not doing it. Joyce is not doing it. The teacher has no clue. But, you know, let's just throw her in this uh, in this high school that's rife with Valley Girl bullies and just see how she does. Yeah. And these, these kids are mean. <laughs> so does that... Do you feel that we're getting clues to the because we talked about this in our reaction to the eight minute um, uh, sequence mm-hmm. was how how do we reconcile the L that we were introduced to in season one versus the L we were introduced to in season four um, and this this was a discussion that we had like so so Heather thinks that trauma um, kills her power mm. and that that experience that was happening in in that first eight minutes may have put her in a spot where she no longer had the power. And so what we saw later was... Um, well, didn't she lose uh, her Brenner. powers at the end of season three? Right. But the idea being that since they can go away, that maybe oh. Renner was trying to... Like what we were seeing was him restoring it and maybe trying to, trying to keep it in check. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then so when she kills the guards, like she's almost like she's coming back into contact and she maybe she had actually blocked some of that out. That's 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 one. That's her mm. theory, I think, at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Because I, I, I am looking for clues like because she, you know, mm-hmm. we know that she it would make sense that she if she's going to if she's out of powers right now, if she's got to get them back and if she's got to get them back. Then that means she's probably got to relearn it to some degree. It probably has, it relates in some way to an experience of trauma. I don't know how it relates. Right, which it seems like we're seeing that, like to your point, like that theme is coming in pretty heavy, it seems like. Yeah. I'm rolling it. Number two. Jonathan and Nancy's long distance relationship. Jonathan has become an accomplished pothead in Southern California with his fast times friend, Argyle. Nancy is attempting to improve the Hawkins school newspaper one front page at a time. The two seem unable to figure out how to spend spring break together. I was completely underwhelmed with this plot. However, I'm I'm a pretty big fan of Argyle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Argyle Argyle feels like a very 80s sidekick. And we're definitely seeing uh, we're seeing drugs, man. Drugs are definitely making a their their way into Stranger Things in a pretty big way. I feel, and I didn't expect this, but I absolutely feel happy for Jonathan that he's having a little bit of fun. Yeah, I mean, when has this guy ever had any fun at all? Um, right. So I, I'm happy he's got Argyle. I'm happy Argyle is providing him with. Well, I mean, he doesn't really need like like. What is he? Thirty-four years old, right? Exactly, <laughs> he doesn't yeah. really need Argyle, <laughs> but <laughs> it's it's actually weird that he would have a friend in there. <laughs> this cut jump between both Nancy and Jonathan expressing their deepest affection for the other, um, I thought it was kind of a clever way to show that they're both over each other. That's how I'm reading mm. it. Oh, is that how you read it? I read it as like yeah, neither, neither one of them actually is in love with each other anymore. 
like they were just going like they were they were over advocating for each other. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I don't yeah, I don't know what to make of it. I think I think what that sequence exposed to me is interesting because like in the first season, you know, we're so like invested in them and then when when she's on the couch with Harrington at the end, you're like, ah, what? And then now I feel like coming all the way through, I'm over it. Can I, I'll be completely honest about my ignorance here. I was under the impression that both Jonathan and Nancy had graduated. That's what I thought too. I thought Nancy graduated and got a job at a newspaper thing. I thought that's what they both did. So. But I guess that was summer? Maybe. It was a summer job. Or it could be that they both had this sort of high school internship at the at the new local. Yeah, I think that's what it was. I think it was a summer internship because it was during the fair time, so that would have been summer. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, that makes more sense. But I was completely under the. I thought that they were both graduated, but um, I did too. I was really, I was really taken aback by. I'm like, I and I just rewatched all three seasons, but I guess that aspect of it, I had already again, I had assumed that that was the case, but I'm like, oh, okay, so they were. This is their senior year. Yeah, all right, sure. I guess. I mean, I guess when I saw Jonathan in that woodshop class, um, I just thought, what are you still doing in high school, sir? <laughs> right. <laughs> you are not a narc on 21 Jump Street. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a little weird. But I'm I'm all in for Argyle. I think he's great. Yeah. And I, I mean, you know, it's the separation creates a certain element, right? Like that I think is in, intriguing. There's definitely a, a separation theme. They're separated by cliques and geography, and I think this is the first time... Well, let's talk about this little part of it, all right? So, they're trying to expand the Stranger Things universe far beyond the Midwest. I think so far it's it's pretty well done. I don't... I think if you're going to try to recapture the old vibes, at some point you're going to have to get everyone back together. Right. And so then the question is, where do you do that? Right. And how, and so if it's, this is happening, as far as we know, it's happening in Hawkins, but what we don't know is can this psychic Freddy Krueger thing, can it, does that, can that go with like, if Chrissy went to, you know, Wyoming, does he go to Wyoming too? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So there's, there's something about that that I think maybe we'll see. Um, but uh, the the idea, like, yeah, because with them all separate, like, I mean, obviously getting Hopper, you know, from Russia would make sense. And he, I guess he would go to, okay, you know, where would he go? Well, and so, so right. they all, they're all going to have to go back to, you know, so it almost seems like he'll come back to Joyce potentially. And then there's trouble in Hawkins and he's got to go deal with that. Cause that's, that's, you know, he's still got roots. Well, there. and that would be very Stephen King, right? Cause there was a, a few, a little like homages to it in this episode. Mm-hmm. It is very Stephen King to say this town is cursed and this town, you, if you leave it, you can usually leave the supernatural behind. If you ever come back to this town, you're right back in the dark magic. So I, I do like the idea. It's sort of a very Stephen King thing to say. No, this particular town is haunted. You know? Yeah, you got to you got to nuke Hawkins, <laughs> nuke it. Yeah. All right, Steve. I think uh, maybe we jump off, go look at season two, and jump back on. Yeah, I think we did do a certain disservice to um, how grisly Chrissy's death was. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was it was pretty horrific. 
super dark though, right? I mean, like the first episode was very dark. Is that the darkest episode of the series? In many ways, it was really goofy. In many, many ways, it was not dark at all. Well, I mean, and then in you terms get, of... And then you get to the, the horror elements, and I think it was definitely the most... One of the most grotesque things that we saw. Right. But, I mean, again, that, that, that implies a certain darkness, right? I mean, like, she didn't just... Like, I mean, Elle doesn't just kill some people in the beginning. She kills everybody. <laughs> oh, every, and, I totally forgot about that part of it. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, that was kind of how it started. Yeah, that's pretty dark. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just carnage. And then, you know, you go through sort of like this. Then you kind of get a different type of horror, right? Like, the the bullying feels pretty horrific at times. Um, that's true. That, that's pretty dark. And then And then you get, you know, I mean, we've seen some. Then there was some horror elements with Chrissy in the bathroom. But then when she when she gets dispatched. Yeah. I mean, she just full origami. <laughs> oh, hey, I forgot to mention something that I wanted to mention. I think that there's going to be a fire theme. All right. So three different callbacks to fire. I guess that the narrative that they're selling is that the people who died in season mall three fire. died in a mall fire. And, of course, you've got the Hellfire Club. Mm. And there was one other reference to fire. Oh, and then you had those sort of like the, you introduce Jonathan in a room full of smoke. Right. 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 I always pay attention to the, how a particular character is introduced at the beginning of a season. Because I think, yeah, maybe this will bookend in an interesting way at the end. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. Just, I, I, my guess, my guess, there's going to be some kind of fire. I think Jonathan's going to be involved. Okay. That's just my guess. Oh, Jesus, man. That's a gucci. You may or may not know that. Perfect Stranger Things has a cousin podcast, that's right, a cousin podcast called Cocoons of Horror, and you can search for Cocoons of Horror wherever you search for podcasts. As we mentioned, the Hellfire Club has a lot of Teen Wolf vibes, and I will say that when we covered Teen Wolf at Cocoons of Horror, Steve and I had quite a bit of fun doing it, so I would recommend that episode if you'd like to try out our other podcast, Cocoons of Horror. Okay, next week on this feed, we will cover episode two of season four, Vecna's Curse. (laughs) 